welcome to series two of my podcast, Innovation, where we get to hear the wisdom and experiences of incredible women in science and technology. My aim with the conversations that you'll hear on this show is to bring out the humanness of STEM, science, technology, engineering, and maths. I grew up in a very STEMI household where we were always encouraged to be curious and ask loads of questions about the world around us. Maybe that's the reason why I went on to study mechanical engineering, a great subject for understanding how the world works. But by the end of university, I was able to mathematically model chaos, but it was only after university that life itself taught me that not everything can be explained with neat little mathematical equations. Life is messy, it doesn't always unfold in a straight line, and here on Innovation, I want to hear how other women in STEM deal with that. I want to hear their experiences, their strength, and wisdom on life. This week, I talked to Lisa Marie Stabrilla, an environmental engineer. My name is Lisa Stabrilla, and I just graduated from, um, my, uh, from graduate school at the University of Pittsburgh, so I just received my PhD in environmental engineering. Um, and so my research focused on informing the design of next generation antimicrobial agents. And so I specifically worked with silver nanoparticles and trying to understand their underlying toxicity mechanisms and how they work to kill bacteria. Okay. So how does your research impact the rest of us? So um, if you're familiar with the antibiotic resistance crisis, it's becoming a global problem just because a lot of people who will get infections, we don't have antibiotics that are treating them effectively because these bacteria, they've developed weapons against them so that they're no longer effective. So they're not killing bacteria effectively and we're not able to clear out infection from our bodies um, or even like surfaces just to like the sterile environment is no longer remaining sterile enough. Um, and so we're just trying to work at um, upfront designing antimicrobial agents that would allow bacteria not to develop resistance towards them, or at least understand how bacteria are developing resistance. So then we can try to change um, specific materials to like to combat and prevent bacteria from developing resistance. First of all, congratulations on recently getting your PhD. Thank you. How do you feel? It feels great. Yeah, it's, it's good to be done. And um, it was a little weird to finish because like there's so many unanswered questions that we didn't get around to doing. So it's like, when do you draw the line? Like, when do you tell yourself you're finished? But yeah, it feels good. And we got to a good point in the work where we're like, okay, we have enough of a story and enough data to present um our results so yeah I find the whole doctoral um process really educational um obviously not just on an academic level but also personally like I learned so much about myself doing my doctorate like how has it been for you yeah I agree with that um yeah, it's a it's odd to be asked that because we're we only focus on like the education aspect and um, yeah, I think I learned a lot about myself and like my work habits and just even from a confidence level, you know, imposter syndrome was something I had to deal with and kind of overcome and you know just seeing yourself as valuable to society and like that you're making an impact. I just think that helped boost my confidence overall. No, I agree with you. Like. 
Mine took uh, four and a half years. Okay. And, um, you know, those four and a half years were just such a massive long journey. Like in the beginning, I think I went in thinking, yeah, I'm doing a PhD, like check me out. And um, the first year was like, okay, so, you know, literature research, um, I can handle that. That was really cool. And my title stayed the same. And I was, you know, doing all this research of what had been done before. And then year two, it was like, oh, like this is this is a lot of work and it's really complex. And actually my title might change um, because there were like issues in, you know, the structure of my title. Um, it didn't quite make sense once I had done the research of what other people had done before. And so there was like adaptations. And then year three was a real hard slog. And then year four was like, oh my gosh, I I need like loads more time to get everything done. And I need to, as you say, draw the line and and get this finished. Yeah. Yeah. I would say very similar too. like, I started out very bright eyed and eager and optimistic. Like, you know, I was just super excited. I knew this was the path I wanted to be on. And like you said, it was literature review and also applying to like fellowships of writing proposals just to get funding externally. And so that took up a lot of year one, doing some classes too. And then, yeah, year two, year three, year four was the meat of the research. And it was still good. But yeah, then when I hit year four, I think for me, I took five years. And year four and year five, it was like a mad dash to the finish line. Like there's just so much to do to get it done. And I just feel like mine was so heavy weighted at the end where, you know, I defended my PhD in May and I was taken these summer months to finish up experiments just to get that final piece of data. Um, But I mean, you know, there was times where it was frustrating having to repeat experiments or like something went wrong. I just feel like for every project I did, there was something like that that just delayed everything. And yeah, that's why I like created this mad dash at the end. It's so awesome to like talk to you because um, I just see this, beautiful young woman who has done something really impressive and you know now you've got this title and I know it's not all about like labels and titles and things but you know you've really accomplished something um what has that done for your confidence yeah I yeah I mean it's it's almost surreal and hard to believe that like I'm a doctor now and you know I just feel like for me I feel like I could be an example for students who don't believe they could do it. And I think that just makes me feel good and confident inside. Like if I could do it, anyone else could do it. I know in undergrad, when people were talking about, oh, grad school, I definitely did not want to do grad school. It just seemed too long of a journey. And then, you know, I started and it seemed like really fun, just the process of doing research and being able to work at this open at these open-ended questions like you're at the frontier of discovery not everyone's doing the work that you're doing like you could be the only one doing your exact research question and so like that was just awe-inspiring to me and it just made me feel good like okay I'm contributing to society in a way that no one else is and just getting the degree now it just makes me feel like I could continue doing anything else I wanted to do I just like feel well equipped to yeah, help out the world in any way that I choose. So yeah, it feels good. Yeah. 
That's so awesome. And actually, I had forgotten that, you know, the fact that the doctorate, even though it was a hard slog, um, it did prove that you can do anything you set your mind to. Yeah. Why did you choose this particular area of research? So during undergrad, I did my first, I had my little first taste of research during a summer research program. And that introduced me to this aspect of sustainability. And even though the research was a little different, it was still under this umbrella of creating either products from waste or creating better products that would save resources. And so um, coupling that also with my background in material science, I ended up in an interdisciplinary program that looked at how can we better design materials specifically nanomaterials to be more sustainable. And I became interested in this public health aspect. So antimicrobial design, just influencing people's daily lives. I just liked, I mean, the project just kind of came together that way in a, in a way that was more, how do you say, like it had serendipity, serendipity. It just kind of was the walk of the draw. Like it was using my background in material science and just this public health aspect that I was interested in and in trying to impact people's daily lives with designing better material, nanomaterial or better antimicrobial agents um, where we might not have to design an antimic- a new antimicrobial every 10 to 50 years. I mean, just because with the past antibiotic discovery, anytime we would develop a new antibiotic, bacteria would develop resistance to it. And so just trying to work at the aspect, can we design something where we don't have to keep designing new materials every so often? So I just became motivated to try to work at that problem. Um, So I guess that's how I came about to my specific research area. A lot of women or girls um, feel like science is just too hard and quite intimidating. Did you ever experience that? I can't say that I did. Like in high school, I was interested in science and math and my teachers knew I was good at it. And so they said, you know, you should go into engineering. You, you can use math and science there on a daily basis. So, you know, I, I, I'm well aware of just all the gender biases, gender biases in these subject areas. You know, I've read a lot of literature on them. I know a lot of my peers have felt that way. You know, they didn't feel they were well equipped to pursue those fields. Um, But I just, I never personally felt those biases. And I just, I felt encouraged really to pursue them. And I think, you know, as long as you're dedicating and have, I guess, the resources to study these fields well, I think that anyone could excel in them. You just have to have like a mentor and advocate for yourself and you know, dedicate the time and have the headspace, the mindset to sit there and actually focus on the work and, you know, seek out resources if they're available to you. Yeah, I mean, I spent a lot of time asking myself why some people um, are really encouraged to pursue science subjects and why others run away from them. Um, What do you think encouraged you to stick with STEM? I really think it was 
because once I got into college, I think it was the programs in the communities, the organizations that were present at my university. So at the University of Pittsburgh, there's this program called, called Pitt Excel, and it really targets underrepresented minorities at the university. And so that could include females and it, it could include, include different racial groups. Um, and it, they created such a tight knit community focused on STEM fields and specifically engineering. And it became a family away from home. And I just think they kept encouraging, they would meet with us, you know, as, as often as we needed, you know, once a month, twice a month. And they were just like our cheerleaders, like cheering us along the way. They would hold like this mid-year motivational conference, give out awards for different things. And it just made you feel like, okay, I'm doing good in this engineering community. And there's people like myself here doing the same, taking the same route I am. And so, you know, yeah, they kind of connected us to peers that we're all on the same journey, the same cohort. And so I think that helps as well. Yeah, it's so incredible how important encouragement and support is. And I think we live in a world that tends to be very competitive. And, you know, we don't want to discuss when we're feeling a bit kind of fragile, or not so confident, like we're always, especially with social media, trying to sort of put forward this glossy um, facade. And um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's really encouraging to think that there was an awareness around the importance of support and encouragement. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I agree. And like, yeah, it's so easy to compare yourself to other people and be competitive. And this organization wasn't competitive. Even the field, my grad school department I was in, it wasn't competitive. It was just very collaborative and supportive. And that, you know, that Pit Excel organization, it was just really real and like you could share your raw emotion like the good and the bad and it was just such a good open and safe space um to talk to people so yeah what's the best piece of advice you've ever been given yeah so that's a good question and um I would say and this again comes from that Pit Excel organization they told me that my degree didn't de- didn't define me and I like that because I didn't know what I wanted to do after undergrad and I had this degree and they just said, you know, your degree doesn't limit you. You can do whatever you want. You you know, it doesn't confine you to just one area. And so I ended up in a very interdisciplinary program doing a field of research that I didn't see for myself when I was an undergrad. So that kind of leads into what I'd also say, um, keeping, or don't say no to opportunities and being open to different opportunities. Like I was so dead, I might've been so dead set on one path, maybe not during grad school. And so I remained open to that opportunity. Um, Even now, as I look ahead to my next steps, just saying yes to different opportunities and keeping the door open, you know, it can take you down paths that you would never think. Like if you're just so dead set on one path, you don't know what else is out there. And so I just think, being open to those opportunities was another good piece of advice I got um, from my uh, mentors during undergrad. Have you ever felt very aware of being female in STEM? Like, is it is it an issue in what I guess is kind of biology slash material 
engineering? Yeah. So during undergrad, it was heavy material science. And I was like one of maybe two girls in these classes. So it was something that was very, it was the elephant in the room, you know, all these guys are in there. And then it's just us two. And even some of the professors, I mean, they're also male at that time, um, during my undergrad program. And I don't know, it's just these biases that I don't know. It was just something internal in me that unless it was just within me or within them, but you know, it was just like, they would expect the guys to know all the content better than the females and, and just even how the men work together in the classroom, it was just easier for them to bond because they could talk about sports or other things. And, you know, it did just feel a little alienating, even though I know it was not intentional. It just, you know, it was, it was just happening. Um, now in grad school, I would say in environmental engineering and in microbiology, that's kind of the um, intersection of my work. There are more females in those fields. And, and even in my lab group, my advisor was female and I had two female grad students working in my lab. So it was very empowering for me. Even my whole PhD committee was all women, which was just so odd. Um, just very a big turnaround from undergrad and it was really nice to see all the female power and um, yeah it was great when I was um, in engineering there were so few women and then the women that I did meet were actually very like masculine in their approach and very competitive and um, it's only since doing a lot of these this work and sort of um, gathering a lot of awareness around gender dynamics that I'm only starting to see that actually there's a a sort of section of society where women want to encourage women but it's not that big Mm -hmm. and I wondered if you have had any experience in that well are you seeing it more like are you seeing the engineering okay you said from your experience the engineering females were like competitive and masculine but when you're comparing between non-STEM and STEM, are you seeing a difference or not? I guess what I'm saying is not all women are open to supporting other women. And um, I really feel like there needs to be a change of mindset, not just amongst men accepting women. Yeah. Women accepting women. I know what you mean. You know, I, you know, I can't give specific examples, but I'm aware of what you're talking about. There are women that are like you said, I like how you put it, accepting the patriarchal system versus supporting other women. I would just say within grad school, I have probably met more of the latter women supporting other women. I mean, I remember there was this one conference geared towards just uh, women development in academia. It was all centered on that. Um, so I don't know, maybe I just like sought out experiences or opportunities that exposed, exposed me to more of those types of women. But I mean, I know I've also encountered women who are more traditional in the mindset, like, you know, they, I mean, they definitely want to have kids and be in that mother role, which I think is great to have a mix of that science background and still be a mother. Um, But I don't know if I can say much more on that just because I don't, I don't know much more about that. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think as I do, as I have more and more of these conversations, 
I'm realizing that um, women have it quite tough when it comes to trying to develop a career and fit in motherhood and, you know, be a partner to someone. Like, I, I just feel like we have to juggle so much and we don't live in a time where it's clear how we do that juggle. Like we're all just still trying to work it out kind of thing. And I definitely feel like things have got so much better um, in terms of the support and the encouragement um, and the help that women get. I mean, you're a testament to that because you say that, you know, you've, you've been on the receiving end of that. Um, so I think things are, things have never been better. But at the same time, um, it's still not really clear how we we fit everything in, you know, as women. And so there you are, having just completed your PhD. Like, how are you, do you have a plan of like how you're going to do all the things you want to do? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, there are things I've thought, I've thought about. I just don't have a good plan. I mean, I want to, you know, get started at a university where I'm managing my own research team, you know, possibly get on tenure track and get tenure at a a research intensive university. But I also know that I want kids and I've, you know, been observing my own advisor and other professors in my department who have kids and how they're balancing it. And I mean, it is a challenge. And even like you said, I mean, this is kind of so new to our society with women working and trying to balance it all. So we don't have it figured out yet. And, you know, in my mind, I was, you know, I, I, I think it's so important to be at home with the kids for those first like three or four years. And for me to take three or four years off completely from science, it like puts me behind. And so, you know, I, I want, I mean, ideally I'd like to get in a position where, as a professor, I mean, if you as a professor, your schedule is flexible enough that, you know, if you wanted to do some work at home and be with your child, it's possible, but also having a good support system with your partner or with your other family members that could help contribute. Because I do think it is important for the family to take care of the kid and instill their values rather than like just dropping them off at daycare, which is also respectable depending on your situation. Um, but you know, I, I do plan on trying to balance work in more, I mean, I don't know, I kind of let grad school take over my life. So I'm trying to get more of a work life balance before I start trying to think about family, just, and maybe just having the kid will help me like balance things and make work go quicker. Like I'm just trying to be more efficient at work so that I can be present more at home. And I'd always be thinking of work at home, things like that. Um, I must say, like having having had a few of these conversations now, what I really um, see about women who have it all, um, what I really see is that women know what they want and they just go and get it, uh-huh. which is really inspiring because it's like, I don't care. The attitude is, I don't care what the rules have been. I don't want, I care what the rules are. Yeah. I know what I want out of life and I'm just going to go and get it. 
And anyone that stands in my way, I'm going to say, sorry, but it's what I want. And I've seen professors do that. Um, I've seen women at work do that. I've seen women who um, didn't go anywhere near academia. They had their children first and then returned to academia once the kids were like more grown up. And I just find that it's really it's really up to us as women to create our own destiny. And yeah, of course, you know, there are rules and there are systems in place, but unless people, unless women butt up against it, like things aren't going to change. So. Yeah, I know. I like what you're you're saying. It's empowering. And I know I feel often like I'm trying to fit into the system and like fit my life into it. And I like how you're saying, like, just go after what you want and make it happen. Like, you know, and this is a little cliche, but be the exception, not the rule. I like that. And I mean, yeah, another thing I've just, I've done all my schooling at the one same university, same city. And a lot of them are like, well, if you want to be a professor here, you need to go elsewhere. It's almost like you're playing this game. Like, okay, you want to show that you're, you can thrive in different environments and different cultures. So like, yeah, going and getting a new experience in another city or another country would be great. But, you know, I also know it's important to me to have a support system at home and being away from them might not necessarily mean I'm the most productive doing my best work. So it is a balance and not always giving in, into the system, I guess, but rather going after what you want, I think is yeah. really inspiring. Yeah. What do you think is your superpower? Hmm. That is tough. <laughs> um, let me think about that. Well, I, I think just for me, it's probably going to be my determination and my persistence. Like I know I have this like go-getter attitude and And I mean, this is coming more from a work perspective and I can still try to incorporate that into more like my life, big picture thing. But I know like in work at work, like if there's something I know I need to do or I try to set my mind to do it, I just get it done, you know, and I'm like, I try never to say no. So if there's like something that seems like a hard research question to tackle or like just some big challenge in the lab, I just figure out how I can get it done whether it's like changing something about it or just going step by step. But I just, I know my persistence and determination has like carried me through this PhD program. So I would just say that's my superpower. Like no matter what the task is, I just persist until it's done, no matter like how long it takes, no matter how many working hours I need to put in, I like get it done. Nice. Uh, Yeah, I can see that being a real superpower. Yeah. So like, how then do you handle yourself if you are in situations where, because you mentioned imposter syndrome at some point, like, how do you handle situations where you don't feel sort of um, confident? Yeah, honestly, and as silly as it sounds, like, I would take if I was like, just if I was feeling a little down at work because of that, and I just had some time to kill, like, I would just relook through my CV or like through, I would keep this like portfolio of awards and I would just like look through them and like remind myself, like look at all I've achieved and accomplished. And I know like that might sound weird to people or, 
or like you're too into yourself, but it just would help in the moment. Like take a step back and look what, what you have achieved. And I know that would help. I mean, and I mean, I know not everyone may, you know, might be in the same position. They might not have a lot on their CV, but you also just have to look at like where you've started. And I know for me, I would compare myself to people who are at different stages in their career or like they started at different places at different times in their lives. You just can't always compare yourself to other people because you had a different starting point and not everyone took the same like growth journey that you took. And so I just would remind myself of that. Like you'll get there one day or you'll get there at a different pace and that's okay. So I would just like remind myself of those types of thoughts. Mm. Oh, that's so beautiful because I think we do, you know, especially when we're at school, we're all, you know, taking that same exam or working towards that end viva, you know, and, and it's so easy to compare ourselves. Yeah. But, you know, it's such a good reminder to hear that we are all on our own individual journeys and again, it's back to really focusing on what it is that we want as individuals and going for that mm-hmm. and not getting too distracted by how other people are getting where we think they want to go. I mean, yeah, exactly. it's so complicated, doesn't it? When we yes. look at other people's journeys. Yeah, like don't go on a journey that you think other people would like to see. You know, just do what you want and pursue that. Yeah, totally. So how do you keep yourself um, sort of mentally strong? Well, I definitely do a lot of outdoor activities. I like, you know, just being in nature, getting some good exercise in, so playing tennis, going on walks, hikes, um, hanging out with the family. I just think having conversations where you're not always talking about science is helpful. Um, You know, even having friends go into like, parties or get togethers where they're not all science folks, just like reminding yourself of the world outside of science. That's been helpful. Um, what else, you know, just having time each day to do something leisurely. So for me, it's reading or writing for fun. Um, just having a good outlet to release mentally, um, is helpful. So what for you has been the most humbling experience of your life? I I guess I would just say the PhD program, like, or even undergrad going to a university that was bigger. Like I grew up in a small community, went to a small high school. And so I really did feel like I was this big fish in a small pond. You know, I felt like I was top of my class. I just felt like, yeah, you know, I'm it. (laughs) And then, you know, you get fed into this bigger lake and you do feel like you're a number in society and like, you're just part of this bigger, you know, the world doesn't revolve around you basically. And so that humbled me a lot going through more challenging courses and meeting people of different backgrounds, you know, it's not all about, you and it's not all about America like it's this global picture and you want to create this harmonious society and learn about the world like just be more globally aware and so I think just the grad school and again the university I went to it students from all over the country and all over the world would come here 
And so learning about different um, backgrounds has been really humbling and helpful just in creating more of a, uh, what would you say? Like it, it just create, get, making me more, creating more of an eye opener of the world for me. Yeah. Science is so awesome for that, isn't it? Because, yeah. you know, you really end up collaborating globally. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, you go to these conferences and just you never know the types of people you'll meet and the types of friendships you develop I mean that has been really cool too yeah totally and you know I'm such a massive advocate for um, equality and diversity and inclusion and you know lots of different people coming together from all over the place because I think it often leads to better solutions when you have different perspectives Yep. Um, what's your kind of experience and sort of opinions on um, what we call EDNI, equality, diversity, and inclusion? Okay, yeah. Um, <clears throat> I mean, I think my perspective is the same as yours. If you're trying to develop a solution, it doesn't help to have all of the same mindset working towards a solution that would be only geared towards one type of person. So just, you know, coming from an engineering perspective, it's better to have a diverse group of people to come up with a solution that could work for everyone. Um, and I think it just offers more creativity too. That's something I learned to be more in grad school is more creative. And when you're brainstorming with a bunch of different mindsets, you're just, you're learning so much more something you say and something they say, like you just keep building off of each other and you create this great mosaic of ideas and then it ends up, you come up with a really good creative solution. So I'm very supportive of that. And, you know, I think, you, yeah, I mean, it just helps your own personal growth because you're learning way more too. So I think it's beneficial to the group and community as a whole, but also even your individual growth as well. So your research, like, where is it heading? Yeah, so I would say... Um, it is heading towards trying to understand how bacteria develop resistance to antibiotics in general. So even though I focus specifically on silver nanoparticles, there's a lot of new emerging materials out there and as well as traditional antibiotics. And I don't think we fully understand, you know, how bacteria are developing resistance, how they're spreading resistance around. And so trying to understand really this transition between sensitive bacteria that become resistant, trying to understand that tr transition and looking at how to prevent either that transition or how to come up with a solution to combat that the bacteria developing resistance. So will your research lead to um, I don't know, like less um, kind of what do they call them? Like super bugs in hospitals? Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah. So that is what we're trying to eradicate. And, you know, if we come up with a good material or good way to combat this, there would be less of these infections. I mean, currently we're on this brink of entering this post antibiotic era. So it's almost like we're returning to what life was like before we had antibiotics. And so if we come up with a good solution to deal, to deal with these superbugs, so these bugs that are resistant to multiple antibiotics, then 
you know, then we can start um, dealing with infections more properly. Well, you know, hopefully we would reduce the number of deaths due to bacterial resistant infections in hospitals. So that's an important clinical setting for them. So reducing deaths and yeah, just having less infections and less superbugs present um, is the goal. It's so interesting that you say we're on the brink of going back in time where we didn't have antibiotics because the technology of antibiotics is becoming kind of redundant as bacteria get smarter. Yes. Um, Which is really like, I mean, it's mind blowing to think about that, especially having gone through a pandemic where, well, we're still in, in it, I guess, but this pandemic has really shown us how vulnerable we are to these tiny things that we can't even see. And it's, you know, when you say that we're going back to like pre-antibiotic eras, that really is just so powerful because I, I, I really relate to that given what we've been through. Yeah, exactly. And like back in that time, I mean, deaths, the number one cause of death were like bacterial illnesses then. And that's something we have complete control over. You know, it's not like a natural disaster. It's something we have control over and we're letting it pervade us again, just because, I mean, a lot of it comes from also the misuse of antibiotics. So it's a multifaceted problem. Doctors are prescribing antibiotics when maybe they don't necessarily need to be prescribing them. Patients might not be taking them fully. And so, you know, they might end their prescription early and they're letting and or you know they flush antibiotics down the toilet they're breeding antibiotics in all these different environmental settings we even feed antibiotics to cows and other livestock that's promoting the spread of antibiotics within um soil and other environmental settings and so you're you're it's a transmission problem at that point and so I mean, there's a lot of areas that need both science, but also policy regulation, like, okay, can we regulate antibiotic use? You know, in some um, antibiotics, they are saved as a last resort type antibiotic, which is good. I mean, silver, what I work on, um, I feel like it's so ubiquitously used right now because it's, it's being found in like clothing, socks, baby pacifiers, like things that don't really need an antimicrobial function. And so I think at the policy level, silver could be one of those materials that could be reserved for just the hospital or clinical setting so that they're, so that when they're needed, they're actually effective rather than, you know, they're in our clothing just to reduce the number of washing we need to wash our shirt or something like that. I was so attracted to your research because I remember studying the history of medicine Uh at some point at school. And, um, the old kind of sayings of like born with a silver spoon in your mouth was actually kind of based on truth because um, babies were encouraged to suck on silver spoons because it had that antimicrobial kind of function. And it's like, it's, it's so interesting that we've got to a point in technology where we can kind of just sprinkle silver everywhere and hope that we just kill a load of germs and we're, not helping the problem. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that was the goal of my research is, is silver a good, is, or silver nanoparticles a good solution to this problem or are they breeding the problem? So yeah, 
And I mean, what, what I, what's that? What's the answer? Yeah, the answer is it's breeding the problem. I'm, like bacteria, I looked at E. coli, they can develop resistance to silver nanoparticles. And so um, using them widespread is just not a good idea. But what we're trying to look at is can we fine tune like the properties of the nanomaterial? So the shape, the size, the surface chemistry, can we control the outcome? So is there a way we could see no resistance develop if we change those physical chemical properties? So that I don't have the answer to, but I know, you know, resistance does happen, but is there a way we can um, control that outcome? And what's awesome is because of the research you've done and the PhD that you've just got, if you don't have the answer yet, uh, not many people do. And you've pushed our knowledge of this problem just that little bit further. And that is so badass. Yeah, thank you. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's true. And um, I mean, it opens the doors to more questions and you know, you can apply the methodology that I have done to look at other materials as well. And so, yeah, yeah, that's nice to hear. <laughs> it's amazing. And kind of final question then would be, um, why science for you? I just like the intellectual curiosity it allows me to have. I'm just a curious individual by nature. and. You know, for all those kids that ask why, I think it's a good field to go into because you're learning why things happen. You know, I mean, sometimes it's cool to keep the magic or the mystery of something, but it's also cool to figure out how something works or why something happens. And um, it's intellectually stimulating too. Like it just lets you use a part of your brain that not everyone uses on a daily basis. And so I just, I like pushing myself and challenging myself to figure out answers and come up with solutions. I mean, I just think science is at the forefront of discovery and coming up with solutions to make life better. So that's why science for me. Well, it's been amazing to talk to you. I find you so inspiring. And um, I don't know, you just have this um, thing about you where I can really see how science has kind of empowered you well thank you i appreciate that thank you so much for your time you're welcome thank you for having me thanks for listening and please do subscribe to this podcast and maybe even rate and review it if you can the more ratings and reviews and the more interest from those trusty algorithms which could help to increase the reach of this show and you can watch the video recording of this conversation on youtube for my new series called esteemed women it's all about self-discovery and self-evolution on innovation so as always be kind and loving to yourselves and i wish you all a great week